Why are you sick, fat, and tired? Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen, feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Dr. Pat Ballone joins me today on Something for Everybody. Dr. Pat is a high-performance mastery expert. She's a functional medicine and life strategist, and she works with executives, high performers, and entrepreneurs to create their best, most healthy, fulfilled life. And in this conversation, we break down Dr. Pat's five pillars of health. This episode is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products daily. So click the link in the show notes to get $10 off your entire order by using the code everybody at checkout. Now, on to episode 151 of Something for Everybody with Dr. Pat. Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Dr. Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really enjoy being here. Um, and I loved our pre-show chat so far, and I'm looking forward to a great show with you and sharing some great information with your people. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on and hear your expertise and insight on many different things. But before we get into that, I have a very important question to ask you, the most important question I'll ask you, and that is, how are you doing, Dr. Pat? Like, really, how are you doing? Well, on a one to 10, I would tell you today, at this time of day, I'm probably doing like an 8.7. Hmm. Uh, why? Well, probably because I started my day at 5.30, and now it's 3 and 20 in the afternoon for me, and I've had no breaks and um, a very little one to grab something to eat. And then I got back on and I have a lot of podcasts today. So this has um, been a long day for me in that regard. I'm used to moving a lot more. Um, so on that, um, but mentally I feel sharp as a tech. Um, and, um, you know, and I'm probably going to go to sleep early tonight. <laughs> I practice the Benjamin Franklin routine, early to bed, early to rise. <laughs> Are you um, are you someone who always wakes up early? Generally speaking, um, I usually get up. My I have a ritual that I do every day, and one of the things I do is when I first get up, I listen to meditation music, or I listen to a meditation, or um, I roll over and throw the covers back over me, and I set my timer so I don't go back to sleep. <laughs> and usually I'm a very good sleeper. Uh, but uh, last night there was somebody who moved into the condo below where I'm living at right now. So it was a little bit noisy till later. Um, you know, so perhaps I didn't get the quality sleep that I could have got you know, normally. Mm -hmm. But I usually sleep very, very well. Um, but I'm, maybe like a nine now that I'm talking about it. 
But I feel pretty good. Ah. I mean, I feel consistently good. Wow. Now that I justified um, it. <laughs> Just like to move on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'm sure that all the stuff we're going to talk about, including your five pillars of health, are going to be some of the reasons why that you feel so good on a consistent basis. But before we get into that, I want to just touch on your morning routine a little bit more. Are there any other rituals Ooh, yeah. uh, or things that you have I to have... do in your AM routine? Uh, within the first hour of waking up, I have a minimum of 16 ounces of water. So I either have it sometimes by itself. Sometimes um, I make, um, I have a green drink, which I showed you. This is my like I put it in my AG1. This actually is AG1, um, but it has a little bit, a touch of coffee in it, and it has a little collagen in it also, and I shake that up. But I have two of these a day, um, and then I have, like, I just had a little coffee before I came back on. I like to have coffee as a as a treat, in the afternoon, so I'm, I'm a frother. I like frothy coffee, and um, you know, and it puts me. It's peaceful for me. I don't look at it. I don't. I'm drink. I'm a coffee snob, so I have. I drink only really specific kinds of coffee, um, and and I drink water throughout the day. So I have approximately close to like 70 to 65 to 75 ounces of water a day. Mm. And that's what I basically do. And then that, the other thing I do um, on that ritual is I walk, I get up and go down and look for that. There's I'm, where I live at right now is very close to the intercostal in Florida. And then the intercostal in Florida, there's, you know, you're, if, if you're lucky, you're, when it's your, one of your lucky days, you get to see dolphins and manatees. And so I always go down and look for them first thing in the morning to sit there and collect my thoughts for the day. Um, text message, whoever I've got a text message. And then I'm 10 minutes to short, uh, 10 minutes back to where I'm at. And then I'm on a call at 10 o'clock in the morning and I usually am going from there. But today, Mondays, I have, um, calls starting at eight o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and meetings. That's good. So your, your morning routine absolutely consists of meditation, some movement, um, some hydration, basically. Uh, those yeah. are the three most important things. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You know, and if I end up, you know, this is a funny thing that I do, or maybe not so funny. If I wake up and I'm not in a good mood, instead of going for that walk, I'll hop in the shower. Mm. You know, and then I finish, I always finish shower. Especially down here, it's easy to do. No water is like super cold, but I finish the shower usually with cold water for about 30 to 45 seconds. I, I have found the, the cold shower to be extremely beneficial in the morning. I really like it. You know what I would like to have <laughs> or like to do? I haven't done it, but I keep on seeing it keeps on crossing my, you know, interest path is uh, going into a um, cryo booth. Oh, yeah. Have you done one of those? Have you done one of I those? I have not. I've just done like the, the ice baths and the cold plunge mm -hmm. and the cold showers, but not, not any cryotherapy, no. Well, these are booths that you walk into and it's like, you start out higher temperature, but in higher, I mean like, you know, five below zero. 
you know, and you've got <laughs> gloves on to protect your feet and your hands, you know, but you're basically, um, you know, you're in a robe, you know, perhaps. And um, I had a friend of mine who had said he had uh, pain for years and he did two sessions and he was absolutely with no pain. So really? it's one of those things that being the, the my background in chiropractic that anything's possible, I just think, let's go do it. <laughs> let's let's go try. I would love to go in one just to see how cold cold is um, for that. You should do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, back. <laughs> I lived in South Dakota for four years, so I feel like I lived oh. in cryotherapy for four years. So, and I feel pretty so good. So, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I feel pretty your, good. You had your dose. You had your dose yeah. <laughs> of cryotherapy. Well, I grew up in Michigan. Yeah, I grew up in Michigan, but I think when you go into some of those um, modalities like that, it's a different experience, and it's oh, very yeah. measured. So you don't, you're not, you know, you're not in there, um, you know, you're not, you're not in there for, on, you know, unobserved. Somebody's there, like watching how many minutes you are in there, and which should be like that. You know, or it should be set to um, turn off automatically. But I don't know. My friends said they ended up going into 20 below Fahrenheit. And I just went like, wow, is that cold? You know, and, yes. but it's, you know, it's your mindset, right? That's part mm-hmm. of your big com- conception of health is that you've got to have a strong mind. You know, you have to have good character. You have to have a strong mind. And that it's crucial to master your thoughts because thoughts is one of the reasons why people get sick. Yes. And now we're getting, now we're getting into it here, Dr. Pat. So, uh, I was just like scrolling through all of the information that you post on the internet. And one of the things that resonated mostly with me was these five pillars of health. One, because I, I talk about the sort of foundational piece that we have to have when it comes to sort of living our best life. Because a lot of times in the internet now, currently it's like all of these hacks and tricks and things and hooplas and this and it's like people aren't sticking to the simple yet challenging stuff that has worked over long periods of time and so for me i tell people to eat well move well sleep well and think well yeah there's a lot of things that go into those things but if you just think at it of those four things it can become more manageable instead of trying this sort of overwhelming piece that can take over your whole life and not knowing where to start and how to start and then never actually starting and then being sort of stuck in the place that you're at And then you've sort of tweaked that to make it your own into your five pillars of health, which are the positive mental attitude, diet or nutrition, exercise, sleep. And I like number five, which is, which is posture, which I believe is incredibly important in terms for our body language and how we present to the world and how we show ourselves to the world. So I'd like to just break down each one of those um, so people can get a better idea of how to incorporate that into their life. Well, I'm curious before I start that, if you considered yourself having, you know, a, a fine-tuned engine as a body, what do you think you're driving? Driving a jalopy, a Mustang? Or are you driving a Lexus or Ferrari? Like myself? Yeah, just curious. I'm driving. I'm driving a Ferrari. My kind of guy, um, and you know, 
the reason why I ask that is because people have a misconception about what health is and what health isn't. And a lot of times people have a tendency to put the cart before the horse. And they, and then the idea they want to do it so fast that they want to get, and you know, get all those pieces of the puzzle together as fast as possible when there's no process that doesn't require time and there's no magic pill. So when they actually get the cart before the horse and they leave it there, they're expecting the horse maybe to push it. But you have to take the horse and put it in front of the cart, then attach it, then get in the driver's seat, and you got to know how to drive the cart, and you got to know how to control the horse. And when you know how to do that, you can have stellar health. So I ask why if people, if what they, what kind of car are they driving for a body? Um, and then, you know, diving into like, you know, what health is, you know, the typical dictionary says it's when your organs are functioning 100% of the time. Unfortunately, we don't know that. We don't know if there is something that's happened. It's like a Swiss watch. When one of the wheels kind of goes awry, it can start going awry and start affecting the function of the watch. And you wouldn't know that until quite a bit a while longer, unless there was a complete break, which would be like a heart attack, and it just stops working. So when you're looking at what health is, you know, under that definition, it's kind of, mis it's very misleading. You know, and then the World Health Organization said it's not the, merely the absence of disease or infirmities, which I wholeheartedly agree, because you cannot, you can have something going on and not know it's like an iceberg. It's like what happened during the pandemic with all these people who were absolutely sick. And I always used to say before the pandemic, there were a lot more people sick that didn't know it. And I mm. preach that quite frequently, and I always was like, you know, ostracized or somebody wanted to say, like, well, how do you know that? Well, the World Health Organization knew it because in 1986 they updated their definition so that it also included your environment and not just the idea of being healthy, but also your aspirations for what health is. So in order to break that whole two pieces of the puzzle down is when I made the five pillars of health. And so the mm -hmm. first one we talked to, and we talked to about like diet and nutrition, you can have good nutrition, you know, but you're not going to have a good diet. And so eating things, they've, they've got to be um, synergistic to each other, you know, and then you can have proper exercise, you know, and you're like, what is it? What is the proper exercise and that motion that you want to get into? And then sleep is essential. In order to get you get a good night's sleep, you can get the rest that you need and repair, revitalize for the future, hit the ground running the next day so that your brain detoxes, your body detoxes during the middle of the night, and you're wake up restored. We all know that. If you're a woman and you are over the age of 30, or somewhere 30, 35, and you don't get a good night's sleep, you know, you look haggard. You look like you haven't had a good night's sleep. You don't, and you can see it in your skin. It's almost instantaneous. Guys never see that stuff because they have thicker skin or whatever, but I, I don't see that, you know, and, and a lot of men are well put together until they're usually around 40 years old. And then I perpetually in my last 38 years always see men starting to have more complaints coming in because sickness does not happen overnight unless it's traumatic. And so the, you know, the, in my book, Why Are You Sick, Fat, and Tired, it addresses that. But back to the sleep part, then you have to have positive mental attitude and positive um, mindset. If you don't have a positive mindset and you don't have a positive uh, mental attitude, then it makes it a lot harder to stay on your diet. It makes it a lot harder to get your butt out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning or 5.30 or 6.30 and go to the gym and do whatever you want to do to move, even if it's to walk around your neighborhood. 
you know, and you have to have that component of mindset in, in place. It can be a game changer about whether or not you're successful. So having those superior wellness initiatives plus the positive mindset and positive wellness leads to success physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, you know, and financially. You cannot make good decisions if you can't think straight. And wherever the mind goes, the body follows. And then finally, the part that you like the best, I think, out of my five pillars was uh, posture and having proper mm -hmm. posture because structure is function. If you don't have good structure, you can't have good function. Ultimately, it will falter. You know, it's like getting in the, the carriage, you know, and driving that, having that horse drive the cart and finding out that you don't have the reins. You're not going to go very far. Um, in life. So you have to have the, all those pieces of the puzzle. They're part of the pie. They're part of, you know, what, however, you know, the, the puzzle, whatever it is that you want needed to be. And some of those pieces are a little bit bigger than others, but they're all equally important in the big game plan of life and how to get, get farther ahead. So is there a specific question you would like to delve? I know that you are so interested in that aspect of that. I love talking about that. <laughs> so. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about uh, positive mental attitude <clears throat> because obviously when when we're dealing with life not everything is positive and so how do you how do you view that aspect of accepting the things that happen to us that are unpredictable or unfortunate or traumatic and then framing that sort of in a way that can be maybe used as fuel or as growth or accepting that fact and still sort of having that idea of a positive mental attitude or positive mental wellness? Well, one thing that comes to mind when you talk about that, I immediately want to go talk about the three brains. And the three brains I talk to are the lizard brain, the mammalian brain, and the conscious brain. And so the, the lizard brain is the one that is your hero, you know, the one that saves you from the saber-toothed tiger, the guy who's pulling in front of your car and you're slamming on the brakes. You want that brain to work for that purpose, but you do not want that brain to take over the mammalian brain and keep on telling you that you can't do something and keep on setting you up for tab sabotage again and again and again and again and again. And so when the mammalian brain's job is to store all actions that have happened to you in your life and you store those emotions that go along with that event. So if you grew up hearing your uh, parents argue about money, then that gets anchored somewhere along the line in the mammalian brain. So every time some things get set up, the lizard brain has the mammalian brain set it up so you're not successful and you trip on the same thing again and again, which is insanity to keep on doing the same stuff over and over again. And so when people can realize that they are, that they have to, in order to have control of the mammalian brain, you know, you have to go to your conscious brain. And that's why you say affirmations because affirmations that we do in your awake, like right now, I am healthy. I am vital. I'm active. I'm a successful human being on this day. I give myself unselfishly to help others. You know, that's telling my conscious brain is telling the mammalian brain to store that as a positive experience. And then telling the, the lizard brain, shut up. You don't have any space here for that element. And in order to change those thought processes in the mammalian brain, you've got to start talking positive talk to it, that positive self-talk that you need. And so whatever or how those are crafted, they're always crafted in first person. And the best time to say that is first thing in the morning and just before you go to sleep at night because you have more control of that. So the mammalian brain is a very cool thing because it's almost like, you know, it, if you can 
change, this is like the holy grail of marketing, if you can change what message the mammalian brain is speaking, you know, it can stop the uh, lizard brain because the lizard brain's got to learn that it's a win-win. And who controls the lizard brain is the conscious brain and the mammalian brain. And the conscious brain talks to the mammalian brain, which is the second brain. And in that brain, you can craft things that go from pain to pleasure. So if you take a simple example of dating, for instance, and keep on picking the wrong person to date, your mammalian brain is going to tell you when you go to meet a person who has that same energy, different body, right? You know, it's just, I mean, my mother used to say like, oh, put them in a blender and pour them out. They're all the same. And so <laughs> if you take that, if you take that, and she goes, you don't know, can marry any of them. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that was, she used to say that all the time. And so, especially after she got divorced, um, but she, you know, but the, the point is, is that, you know, w- what you believe to be true will become true. So when you have an experience that is not helpful to your productivity and going forward in your life, you got to ask yourself, wow, what was that? And if I can identify what that was, what is the lesson I'm supposed to learn from that? And if you can stay in that uh, my uh, t- time frame, hang on just one second. That's not even supposed to do that. My telephone's having a psychic moment, um, and so the you know so if you can can change that like that verbiage around and ask yourself those questions, you can funnel it down so that you're much more anchored. And so when stuff happens, you like, it's like, okay, so, you know, that happened. So what did I learn from it? And what do I need to do so it doesn't ever happen again? And if it does happen again, you're going like, oh, I recognize that. Damn it. It happened again. You know, and then when you get into the mode of being conscious about what your thoughts are, because you have to command your thoughts. It's essential and it's crucial to take command of your thoughts. As when you can do that, you can project um, more positive outcomes. So like you can feel those. It's almost like being, you can tell the future, right? You can, you can like, wow, I can feel it. I remember when that happened. So I'm just going to give you a, a, a real-time life example. I had a mentor who's taking um, volunteers in the class. There's 300 people there. It was a uh, conference on a thing called neuroemotional tracing. At that time, that's what the course is called. And so he said, I need a volunteer. And I'm in the back of the room. And he says, okay, you can come up here. So he goes to work on me. And he says to me, you know, um, an emotional issue, right, because that's part of your thought process, ties into a level of being, you know, angry. And that anger has, for you, this is how he said, for you, not somebody else, for me, came up as being abandoned. And I'm thinking and go, hmm, I could see that. Like my father left my mother, you know, they got divorced. And then, you know, and then he looked at me and he said, but at original time for you happened when you were about two years old. And I looked at him and went, I don't think so, but it could be. I'll ask my mother. Cause my father was already dead. You couldn't ask him. And he probably wouldn't even remember. Wouldn't, wouldn't tie something like that into something. And so when I got a break, I went and called my mother up and said to her, tell me what happened to me when I was two years old. And she said, well, when you, let me see, when you were two, you got very sick and we had to take you to the hospital. You had pneumonia. 
And I go, how long was I in the hospital? And she said, two and a half weeks. Now you think about a two-year-old kid that not, you know, their parents take them to the hospital, you know, and then they end up staying there, you know, and they weren't allowed to visit. <laughs> this is like way back when they didn't have, like they thought it, all diseases were contagious. And so I ended up being there for two and a half weeks in the hospital at two. I can't imagine where I would ever have like an attachment or have that feeling about abandonment. But what he did, which was interesting, and I help my clients with this and I help people with this all the time, is to take the charge off of that, you know, that emotion. So you never have to deal with it again. It isn't like it didn't happen. You don't, you're just not reactive to it. Because every time you're re-triggered by an emotion, then what happens is that re-excites the area in your body where you store that crap. And if you want to get rid of it, you got to get rid of the emotional component that triggers it. And how you get rid of it is you quell it. You have that lizard brain shut up. You have the mammalian brain created into a better experience, you know. And then when that same kind of situation happens again, it now is a positive experience. You know, and it's just like, and it's just putting that kind of piece of the puzzle together on, you know, and you can, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it because people are reactive to time, space, event, or a thing. And so if you can tie it down to like, you know, what happened then and when was the time you felt like that beforehand? Because sometimes what you think you got isn't necessarily what you got. Right. You know, and, you know, on that component. So, you know, how, how do you do that? You first identify, you know, you think about what it is. You think, you know, like, okay, and what is it? It's just like, have I ever felt like that before? And if there is, maybe you need to talk to somebody. Maybe you've got to find someone like me or, you know, someone like you who you can say, like, hey, you know, let's, let's explore that. You know, I had a client one time who was so mad at her husband. She wrote him five pages. And I said to her, um, five pages? I said, I go, what's the first three sentences? So this is the mind, right? You talk about pot. And so she read the first three sentences. I, he's never going to read it. And um, <laughs> she said to me, what do you think that for? She was married to him for 17 years. And um, I said, has he ever read one of your letters before? And she said, no. I said, he's not going to read it. And I said, when you're talking to him, because of your way your relationship goes and everyone's there to learn something about those relationships, how old does he act when he gets upset? Now, men never think about this stuff like this, but I, tr I help, I coach women to think in a little different fashion who want to have their relationships last and be more fruitful. But the, you know, and so she just, you know, gave an answer. She said, 10 years old. And so I just went, great, craft your letter to somebody who's 10 years old. How many pages do you think a 10-year-old is going to read? And so she just said, one maybe. And I said, I go, how about one and a half max, right? I said, so pare it down one and a half. And the first three sentences have got to be something ultra nice mm. and, and appeal to your five senses and his five senses. And then you say what you want him to do. And that, cause, because that will make his brain go, huh, what, you know? And then it, I go, and then you follow it up with something nice again. And she goes, isn't that manipulation? I said, no, you're not telling, you're not lying to him about anything, you know, and so you're not buffing it up or an ex attorney friend of mine, you say, blow up the skirt. Um, and I said, you're not doing that. You're telling him the truth, but it's getting him to pay attention in words that he understands in your own language. 
And so when you can do that, you can have these breakthroughs, you know, in your careers, you know, and your life, you know, and, you know, in every aspect of your life, you know, so you don't have to be giving up yourself and you can have it all, you know, as far as health goes, because when you have your health, you can, you can like by far, you know, withstand a lot more variances, you know, and the stuff, but you've got to have a clear mind in order to do that. Yeah. This brings up an interesting thought that I've, that I've had recently. Um, <clears throat> Cause I work with a lot of athletes, a lot of high level athletes and a lot of high level athletes have just horrible, demeaning, belittling self-talk, mm -hmm. but for a really long time, it's motivated them. They had a really bad game. They talked a bunch of shit to themselves, And so they went to the batting cages for four and a half hours and they worked out more and they worked out harder because they were just beating themselves up. And that was their motivator to get them to a certain elite level. And that's not sustainable or durable for a long period of time for long-term success, especially when everyone is just as good as you. But these athletes get scared to lose that because they think that's their edge. They're scared to lose that sort of chip on their shoulder that motivates them and moves them. So this idea of having positive self-talk or credible self-talk or a mindset that is sort of better for them and more sustainable over a long period of time is scary. And so I say that to say, have you run into that with people you work in the high performance space, like executives and entrepreneurs? All the time, you know, and, and also, you know, a lot of people, you know, when you say that, it reminds me of, you know, I used to, uh, when I had my practice on Cape Cod, I used to go out with elite golfers and I used to work, I worked the LPGA in the medical tent, you know, so I got, to, it was interesting for me to watch people on that elite level baseball. Um, mm -hmm. I used to play golf with a couple like um, old baseball players that were retired, um, but they never lost their edge for their ability to play a sport very well. That's always, to me, it was very beautiful to watch that. And, but, you know, when I watch golfers, you know, and even when I'm, I can remember one marathon that I worked, it's probably one of the first ones that I worked. I can remember being in the, the YMCA in Boston and watching TV, and there was this American that's running his butt off, you know, and he was doing really well. He was so far out in front of the Kenyan runners, you know, and all of a sudden his right shoulder went up. And um, I went, he's going to lose the race. Everyone's going, what are you talking about? I said, his right shoulder just went. Where'd you see that? I said, weren't you out watching him? You know, his structure changed because structures function, you know, mm -hmm. and when you get tired, you know, it's easier to hurt yourself. You know, a lot of people like athletic injuries are from dehydration and by what you're thinking. So when, you know, and, and, and the Kenyan runners, I mean, I've, I've seen those guys come across finish lines, not sweating in like July. <laughs> I Cape God. I'm always thinking like, Wow, I, it's, it's just like you know they they might be a little bit pearly sweat, but they're not dripping sweat, and um, and I know what they eat, and so I always thought that was pretty that was like pretty interesting. But with, when you see and you take that over for like high performance, it's like people you can be an elite athlete in the business world, and you know as an executive and entrepreneur and business owners, you know, but you have to have that 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 mindset component in there also in order to do that. So like that self-talk is so important. That's why a lot of those people do their affirmations. You know, they write them out, they visualize them, 
you know, women do vis- like, you know, vision boards, men do, men talk it out. You I mean, they could, they're so visual anyway. Um, you know, whether it's in the shower, like what they're hearing, you know, and, and their affirmations, you know, besides the, I am healthy, happy, vital, active, you know, successful human being, blah, 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 whatever it is, they have their goals. They go to something, you know, um, like, and like think and grow rich or whatever that book is, that is their Bible that has that emotional tie into them. So when they have an off day, they don't let the off day bother them. They just go out and fix it. You know, when I play, um, I used to play a lot of golf. And um, when I used to go out with uh, my patients and, you know, and clients golfing, I would watch. I'd take pictures of them swinging, you know, their structure and form, right, that posture part. And there's always that moment that you can see it in their face. You can see that one piece of their, like when they sit up, they're just like thinking something else. And mm-hmm. it's some, it's like, it's like, it's just pulling them back in and anchoring them in present moment again, which improves their game consistently. And I've helped athletes do that in golf. It was easy for me to do because I liked it. And, you know, and I just did it as a hobby then <laughs> it's just now I charge for it, but the, um, you know, but it's interesting to see that happen, you know, and there's things that anchor people, you know, so I tell stories, you know, that anchor and, um, you know, and then, you know, do a couple take, you know, it literally takes me somewhere like from a minute to five minutes to reset somebody's mindset to continue on in the game. If I'm standing there <laughs> and that I've never figured out how to do the golf game from a Zoom call, <laughs> so you know, with somebody, but I, you know, I love, you know, your question, you know, the answer to that, I think there's, you know, you're, if you're an athlete, you're an athlete. This has been, people ask me as a sports physician, you know, about, do you only treat people who do sports? And I said, a sprained ankle is a sprained ankle. doesn't matter how you got it. Right. You know, the better is how you choose to fix it so that you have, you know, there's most much function as possible in this little period of time. I mean, even look at physical therapy, an elite athlete gets injured and they're in a PT like right away and they're in there for eight hours a day until they're better. You know, you and I get injured, you know, as a, as a normal person, you're in there for 12 weeks. And by that time you also have a lot of other inflammatory things that go on that could hinder, you know, or actually improve, you know, that range of motion and pain, the, the, the reduction of pain. Because having pain or not having pain doesn't mean you have functionality or mm-hmm. having 100% of functionality. It's just pain's an indicator, that's all. It tells you something's going on. Right. Isn't Fantastic. that interesting? I, mean, I love stuff like this. This is like right up my alley. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. Um, yeah, so moving on to the second one, diet. I, I would like to know... If you have any core like values that you think people should follow in terms of diet, um, what are the things that you choose to put in your body every day if there is something? Um, yeah, anything along those lines. Well, you know, the thing that really gave me um, the impetus to like totally give up sugar is when I first opened my practice and the beach, I used to go to the beach in the summertime, I first was there and then discovered I'm not a really sand person. But the book that I brought with me was called Lick the Sugar Habit by Nancy Richardson. It's an old book. And I never did the hair analysis that she suggested in it. But all her reasons way back in the late 80s were so sound about why you should never put sugar in your mouth. I never, I took it out of my diet. Hmm. It was like, it was a non-brainer. And I liked sugar before that. I wasn't a big sugar fan, but I mean, it's and I had like, um, 
you know, when Easter came around, like where that's where we're at right now, is basically, um, <clears throat> I would have, uh, you know, I would have my white. I loved white chocolate as a kid. It's so bad for you, um, but it's easy for me to give up if I know something that I'm doing is hindering my health. I'm not going to do it. Mm. So, you know, it's just like, you know, what are those things, you know, like I, you know, I, um, I hydrate when I go, when I travel, it's easier for me to be on an intermittent fast when I'm traveling than it is, even if I'm going to a country that has great food, like Italy, I just don't eat pasta. It doesn't, it's not something that I actually like gravitate to. And if something doesn't make sense to me, I just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I'm always evaluating, I'm reading labels. You have to read labels. You have to understand what you're putting in your body as nutrients. And if you can't pronounce something, to me, it doesn't matter that you can't pronounce it. What matters is what the side effects are. So you have to know what those side effects are. Like, no, it's just like, come back to me tomorrow and tell me why they're putting sodium dioxide with lemon. <laughs> they don't have to do that in order for it to store. And in the refrigerator, there's many brands that don't use other chemicals in order to do that. You know, so there's, and there's some things that if you use it once, it's not poison, but why would you purposely put poison in your body? Right. You know, and, and for, you know, and recently somebody asked me to, for an opinion on something like for, like in, in muscle, you know, like Botox. And I said, they use Botox in the trenches, you know, they kill rats um, during the, the second world war or the first world war, whichever one it was. And. But the thing is, is that, you know, nobody really knows what long-term use of Botox does to, in a muscle. But it interferes with ATCH, which is acetylcholine, which is an activating um, neurotransmitter to make the muscles uh, fire. So if you keep them um, in the same muscle, putting Botox in, at some point in time, that muscle is going to not work anymore. Hmm. And you can't put any more Botox in that muscle. So what are you going to do? You're going to start using filler? I mean, it's, it doesn't, it, you know, and there's, there's, and it's, it's, there might be some times where that's appropriate, but, you know, I'm just talking about if you, obvious things that are, uh, that don't make sense. And I'm always looking at something else I specifically do is I uh, look at how I combine my foods. And mm -hmm. so um, I don't put like, you know, um, if I have like a steak, I will put steak with green leafy vegetables, you know, asparagus artichokes, you know, things like that. Um, so, and I, and I watch what starch, you know, I'm not a, a starch potatoes um, and that type of thing. And I also eat as, you know, much organic as possible. About four years ago, I changed my diet to being 100% organic. You know, if I had a choice of buying organic or non-organic food, I always bought organic. My grocery bill went up $1,000 in one year. And that's when it was not inflation that we're seeing now. Um, but the, but I, I have followed that rule um, religiously. And also for um, my, when I, my dog was alive, my dog lived seven years past his prime um, in good shape. He was, had an exposure to something that did him in, but the, um, but before that um, he was in, you know, good shape going up and down steps and, you know, had good, musculature but his breed only lives to like a 10 11 years old something like that and he was just died when he was just over 16 so he wow. um you know but i do lifestyle i did lifestyle medicine with him the whole time and that was in you know and, and the same with people so i always think like if people fed their dogs i fed themselves as well as they feed their dogs they probably would be a lot healthier <laughs> yeah i mean like a lot of people I... feed their dogs wrong yeah, I try and follow 
three rules when it comes to my uh, eating habits. And it's one, it's eat real food, don't eat processed food, right. and don't and don't drink my sugar. For sure. You never want to drink um, your sugar. No. Like it's all I mean, I don't do a lot of sugar candy, but sometimes I like a little candy, but um I think those three things have really helped me a lot in just in terms of eating like quality food, real food, stuff that doesn't mm -hmm. have a bunch of weird names in it that have just been created in a lab over the last ten years that shouldn't be inside of a 50. human body <laughs> fifty years. Duncan uh, you know. <laughs> I, I take like a mental note of what foods make me feel good and what feel don't. I I also use a positive mental approach when eating foods that I know are nutritious for me, telling my body that they are nutritious for me. Like this is good for me. This is nourishing me. This is helpful for me. So I get into that mind-body connection of like this knows that mm -hmm. it's good for me. And now the next time I eat it, it like craves it. It wants fruits and veggies. It wants mm -hmm. a nice piece of meat. You know, it wants something like that or whatever the, or mm -hmm. some lagoons or nuts right. or beans or whatever the case may be is. So obviously, yeah. as you know, the positive mental attitude goes, falls into every single one of these deeply. It has to. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, we, we're, we're so much on the same page. We could probably like have, you know, help your elite athletes have even, you know, more incredible, extraordinary results, you know, just based upon the two things that you, what you know, and I know put together, um, you know, but you said something, you know, when you're going through that list, you know, it's just like, it's, you know, do I ever eat sugar? Cause I think, um, I really watch where my source is for that. And, you know, I used to have eight, when I had chocolate, I used to have 85% chocolate and I gave that up recently. You know, mm -hmm. um, it, it says recently came out with a, some, a report that a lot of um, sources that I've used and trusted for um, dark chocolate, because dark chocolate's not good. Under 85, is, you waste your time um, eating it. But over 85, it actually has digestive support for you. But a lot of you have to check the source of the chocolate because a lot of them have heavy metals in them. You know, and so if you, and I haven't found a dark chocolate to replace the one that I used to buy at Trader Joe's, um, which had something like 256% more um, cadmium, you know, and that. So there's a lot of heavy metals. And heavy metals pass through the uh, gut lining very easily. And when the liver gets overwhelmed and can't process them, this stores them in blood, brain, bone, and fat. And so, you know, that is a huge problem. Um, so, uh, and, then, and then also things that are high in the glycemic index. I mean, you talked about not having sugar, like direct sugar. You know, direct sugar's got to go to, you know, the liver in order because it's fructose. And fructose doesn't get assimilated in the gut. It gets assimilated and handled by the, the liver, which is where some of the problem for, like, in some fruits uh, lie, especially, like, sweeter fruits and that type of thing. And that, so you have to like, if I have a sweet tooth, where is that sweet tooth from? Where, where was I a child? Did my mother give me sweets in order to quell my, you know, like if you be a good person, be a good girl, you know, you can have, you can have this, you know, when I grew up, my mother gave us rhubarb and which was very bitter, <laughs> you know, or tomatoes um, instead of sweets. Cause we had much more of a, an area that we had uh, grew vegetables in the summertime. Um, you know, and in the fall time, we had apples. Like, you know, go get an apple, you know, or go get a peach. Occasionally, we should have peaches or never have nectarines. I never figured that one out. 
but you know but fruits you know you have to really watch how much fruit you're eating people think that they can eat equal amounts of fruit to vegetables or they like oh five servings of fruit or vegetables it's like no it should really be four servings of vegetables to one serving of fruit mm. you know in my opinion and because people can have too much fruit in their diet you know and mm. usually when i work with somebody i don't have, let them have any for the first month and then they go back and then you can really taste what you're eating, mm. you know, and go like, do I really like this? Right. You know, That's and you important. taught something other that you, that you just said that was interesting very too, that I practice also myself is that, um, I only eat foods that I gravitate to, not that I crave, but gravitate to. So like, I don't gravitate normally to avocados. I could care less if avocados exist. And, you know, and when I was looking at um, my blood type, you know, um, you know, I was like, there, there's a list of things that, you know, um, what I tested through my blood through a friend's uh, clinic. And it, I just found it interesting. All the stuff that I don't normally gravitate to eat were all on the list of things I should probably avoid. And I just went like, oh, isn't that interesting? Um, so that's what I have, you know, and, and it just say like that test made sense to me because, you know, a lot of times we think foods are healthy. They're supposed to be healthy for you. If I'm ever in a situation, I do something else that's similar to you too. If I'm ever in a situation and I can't control what food I'm eating for whatever reason, you know, um, I'm traveling, you know, I'm at some airport, <laughs> I say, Hail Mary or whatever and you know and I bless the food I look at what appeals to me order that food and I bless that food for my highest good and allow my body to utilize what it can nutriently out of it and the rest of it it can discard you know and I believe that that happens you know so when I when I do that I really I don't get sick or anything else like that you know and if I um, when I gave up like frozen yogurt, which everyone thinks is a health food sometimes. And the first time I ever went to go taste that, again, I got stuck at an airport. And I was going, I wanted something cold, but I didn't want, I wouldn't drink Coca-Cola or have a something from McDonald's or something. And so I had this and I was sitting there and having it. And the guy sitting next to me said, you look like you're so disgusted with that. And um, he goes, what is it? And I said, it's frozen um, yogurt. He goes, oh, I love frozen yogurt. And I said, here, you can have mine. And he took it and he finished it off. And he said, why don't you like it? I said, I can't stand the taste of it. It tastes like I'm eating plastic. But I haven't had it in a long time. So if you're eating it, and you get accustomed to that, and that's your, new, that's your norm, you wouldn't recognize that unless you actually held yourself back away from that, you know. And then when you go back into some foods, you're thinking, what ever possessed me to eat this to begin with? You know, and then it's easier to make those decisions about what to eat and what not to eat and what how not to go forward or whatever. Exactly, because you've, you've actually figured out what makes you feel good, what you like, how your body mm -hmm. operates at its best. You know what your best actually looks like. And all of these questions can be answered. You just have to take a little deeper inventory on yourself and your life. You have to be an active mm -hmm. participant in who you are and who you want to become instead of just sort of doing the thing that everyone else is doing and eating the same foods. And, you know, it's not, a, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society, right? It's like, doesn't. Absolutely. That's beautiful. You should coin that. 
<laughs> so it's a quote from someone I just forgot who it was. Uh, so I did, so I didn't say their <laughs> name beforehand. But like that's the truest thing like that you, you can be said, right? It's it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times the thing you do, the thing I do, the thing a lot of really healthy people do is seen as like going against the grain. Like, no, I don't drink alcohol. What's wrong with you? Why don't you drink alcohol? Well, because it doesn't make me feel good and it's a toxin. Is there something mm-hmm. wrong with you? Were you an addict before? No, I just don't drink alcohol. <laughs> like, you know, what I mean? people look at like, you like that. Like, why don't you, you don't want to have dessert? Why don't you having candy? Like, uh, you know, why do you, why are you getting a good night of sleep? How, how come you're not grinding or working hard? Like all of these things are seemed like so odd, but they're just like the basic tenants of trying to be your best and be energized mm-hmm. for life. Like, how am I supposed to have this great conversation with you if I didn't get a good night of sleep? I didn't put things in my body beforehand. You know, I didn't take a few deep breaths before we hopped on so I could have clarity of mind, right? All of these things just help me perform a little bit better. And now people tend to like then over rotate it and say, well, this is such a structured, rigid life. Like, how am I supposed to have fun and be free? Well, I can have I'll do all of those things because I feel more <laughs> energized about life. I'm excited to wake up. And it, I'm, and it is fun for you. Exactly. <laughs> just, and that's the definition you know, that's, of fun. Right. right. You it's know, like somebody asked me up. about alcohol, alcohol one time, and my ex-husband was French. And um, so what I learned from him, and this is where he told me um, when I got divorced that he goes, there's, he goes, there's things that, you know, that you've learned that are probably bad things for me. And I said, oh, what's that? And um, he said, you're a coffee snob. I am. Um, He said, you're a wine snob. I am. Um, And uh, he said, and he goes, and you just have, you're aware, you're, you're by far much more aware, you know, than, you know, from, it's not like he, because I met him, became aware, I think, because of our energies. Because he was a physician also. Mm-hmm. And he was had such vertical intelligence. You could ask him a question on, like, CBD, like, you know, 20 years ago. And he could have talked to you for about five hours about it. He just, when he learned a subject, he learned it very deep. And, um, you know, so he has, he always had the way of explaining the deep part. And I could take what he said for deep and I could make it in so that anybody could understand it. Mm. And um, and so on that, those pieces of the puzzle in our relationship always worked very very well. And he was incredible. He was, his father was a great chiropractor, osteopath, and physical therapist. And you know he was a very talented doctor. And he has this like you know vertical wisdom that he always brought to the table about nutrition and about health. You can you know every once in a while I still ask him, what do you know about? And, you know, he'll come up with, you know, it's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And it's like a whole, like, email <laughs> page. Um, but it's, it's really great to have those things. But the thing about the wine, though, wine has to complement your food. And a lot of people, when they buy, when they have wine, the wine's already acid and it's already bad. So when mm-hmm. you have something that makes your food not digest very well in your stomach or have the ability to utilize it better, you know, then your drink, then the alcohol is harming you. It's not doing you any justice. But you can take specific, especially in France, the specific things with certain foods, you know, not drinking a whole bottle. I mean, their glasses are like, you know, I showed you my glass where I have for coffee. You know, there's like, you know, a little bit of wine just to complement the food, you know, and it acts as a digestive, you know, and that type of thing. But, you know, I just wanted to make a point for those people who 
do drink a, a glass or two of wine or something like that, that you're drinking it with the right mindset. Because if you have right. the right mindset, you know, then you metabolize your food. And you've blessed your food, right? I mean, you should always, you know, because you're feeding, your body's a sanctuary. And like you're a Ferrari, right? So you feed your Ferrari, you know, supremium you know, petro and fuel in order to fuel it and keep it to maintain a certain level, cost you a lot less money in the long run. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, next one is exercise. Okay, sorry. One of my, Ooh, that's yours. <laughs> oh, that was me. No, I you exercise is your thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love exercise. Um, it changed my life. Like really it's probably, Probably the number one thing that changed my life when I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. So I believe in it wholeheartedly. Uh, and I, and it doesn't matter what sort of exercise. For me, I gravitated towards lifting weights because mm -hmm. it helped me look better and perform better on the baseball field or in the wrestling ring. And now it's just – it's like a fabric of my life. It's like who I am is like someone who goes to the gym. But I've added other stuff like yoga and walking and jujitsu and things like that to explore my body a bit more. But – um, what, uh, what do you do to move your body to exercise? Dr. You're going to be so excited when I tell you this, okay. um, you know, usually where I live at right now is I live in the morning. Um, and one of my, that ritual thing is I go to see if there's manatees in the, in the intercostal. And so I walk, um, <clears throat> some, t some mornings I walk only. Um, and, but my goal is always to walk two miles. And um, sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. It depends upon if I have Mondays for me are really hard to do exercise. But I found I was really excited about this. I found um, a 21 day challenge for endurance um, and flexibility and strength. And it's not like next door to me, so I have to, to go to it. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to get back into that level of performance so that when I go to pick up a golf club this year, again, because I haven't played in eight years, that uh -huh. I play well, you know, and that because structure is function. So if I want to create better function for myself, then I want to be able to do that intensity and I want to increase that endurance. So these people were so <laughs> nice to me that they gave me a weak complimentary and I'm going to do that starting Thursday morning at 6.30 in the morning and then for a week. And then I'm going to Mexico for a, a global women's summit and business conference and retreat. Um, wow. And um, then I'll be down there for a week. And then when I come back, I'm going to do the 21-day challenge. And Love so it. I'm so psyched. Um, and I am really psyched about that. I was looking at like, you know, because I have done um, – I like um, – bar class because in bar you can like really tone really quick and get a lot of strength even from one class I can see a difference and you know but the bar class where I'm at the people who own it I can't deal with it's just like forget about it and <laughs> so I was looking for plan two and then there's a woman who's um I, I only never heard of this method but I have an interest in her after I do the 21 day challenge and going hanging out at their place because it gives a combination of the strength uh, you know those kind of classes that are very similar to bar that I really like you know but what I like about the, the challenge is 30 minutes 
it's going to take me 35 or 40 minutes to get there <laughs> to do a 30 minute thing and then get back in my car and come, and come back and do my day. But I'm really looking forward to that. And when I was um, 13, 14, like you, um, I decided that, you know, I didn't, they sister, my sister was getting married and they measured me for a dress that was the same size that my mother wore. And yours, how you like view yourself and see yourself. I never considered myself fat, you know, and I just felt like when I got measured for that same size dress that my mother wore, I was horrified. And I decided that, that I was doing intermittent fasting way back when, before anybody invented it. <laughs> and so, and that's what I decided was my best bet to do. And I stopped eating sugar naturally, no sweets, ice cream, or anything else like that. And I had one really good meal of lean protein with a bunch of vegetables. When I was 14, I figured this out. And I danced to um, a song uh, called In the God of the Vida every day for 18 minutes. I did exercise to it. You know, I did sit-ups, pull-ups, everything, like to that song every day until I got down to the weight that I wanted to be. And I maintained that weight for about 30 years. Wow. Never was, and so, and that, and that's where my 10 pounds <laughs> is going to go, is down the drain, and that, um, so I'm really excited about this thing, so I thought, you know, when you talked about exercise, I thought, oh, God, you and I are on the same page, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm fired up for you. 21-day challenge is awesome, but I, yeah. I'd also like to hear more about this, uh, before we get to the last couple, about this Global Women's Summit. That sounds pretty awesome. It is. It's um, my uh, mentor coach, coach mentor, um, you know, uh, ask in December, is anybody interested in going down to uh, Playa de Carmen um, for a business retreat? And that's how it started out. And then he decided that probably the buzzword was global summit and that, but it's all executive women who are, um, you know, coming together to take a decompress and this, you know, there's a five-star resort and um all inclusive and it's it's like i'm looking you know forward to that i get to see a couple of my friends that are in that same group with me that are coming from your side of the world kind of from texas and also from um from up near washington state um and so it'll be really great to have that camaraderie and to be able to just put your hair down and just relax too at the same time and so the um, one thing that i know is i always walk away with information and connections, you know, because one of the pieces of the puzzle that um, I, I talk to, probably not enough, but I, I talk to it is community. And community is so important because that's what pulls you in the days that I'm not going to feel like getting up at 5.30 to leave the house at 6 o'clock to get to the 6.30 class. Um, I'm going to, it's just like, you know, that's when community pulls in. It's like, who's my accountability buddy? You know, mm -hmm. who do I've got to pick up along the way? Because I can't say no. So I don't feel like getting up today. Um, you know, that's not an option. And so, the, so that's what I get from you know, being part of his group and meeting really phenomenal people. I got, because of him, I was able to talk on stage with Les Brown um, back in December. Um, as I was featured on a panel, Les Brown was on his own, own thing. But, you know, Sharon Lecter and Rob Goldman, who's the anti-aging person, uh, who's the head of the anti-aging, right? Um, Bob, I always call him the wrong name. Um, you know, they were there, and I saw that, that that was really a great event. And then he was there too. He's re, he's a renowned global speaker, um, 
himself. So it was, you know, that's where that community comes in. You know, there are people who I met from there, I can call in a nanosecond and somebody will be back on the telephone with me um, for that reach out, like in less than a day. When can I get mm. on the phone with you? You know, so some of the friendships that they are, you know, since I've been involved with them, you know, I'm hoping they last my lifetime. And that that's, that's carries you through. That's important. But yeah, that global summit, other than what's going to be discussed about it, he doesn't tell any of that stuff until you get there. <laughs> it's just like, hey, come and jump into the fire. <laughs> this is going to be a good one. Um, if I were to add anything to my four pillars of health and your five pillars of health, it would be, you know, relationships. It would mm -hmm. be community. Yep. But I, I sort of put that into the think well aspect. And I think having a positive mental attitude encourages and invites really good relationships. But just to make it clear, I think that's another pillar of health. It's like mm -hmm. creating Community. real genuine connection, you know, encouraging mm -hmm. authenticity, being vulnerable and courageous and truthful and showing up for yourself because, you know, you can have other people to show up for you and vice versa. And you have friends who, who call you out on your shit and who hold you accountable and who pick you up when you when you literally can't walk or you've fallen down and you know that just enhances everything else you do because then if you're around people who are striving to be their best like you then having a positive mental attitude or thinking well or eating the right foods or sleeping or exercise it's all part of a cohesive group because maybe you go out to dinner and everyone is prioritizing sleep and they're like, okay, guys, it's, it's nine. It's time to go home. We all got to get up early. So, you know, you're just part of a group who encourages that sort of behavior. You go to restaurants that encourage nutritional value and have mm -hmm. good real foods to eat or whatever the case may be is. But outside of all of that, just having people, just one at least person to say that they care about you, they love you, they see you, gives you permission wow. to, to see that in yourself. And I think that's the most important thing. I did a post in Facebook. Um, I probably did it on LinkedIn too, but you know, it's just like, you know, you're, it's just like people for me that I want around me are people I can call up at four o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, and they're there. Yep. That that's my kind of community. You know, yep. not that yep. I would, I would only do that if I was, overseas or something like that, but, or very rarely, but I always, if I hear my telephone ring, I always answer it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an emergency. That's what you, that, that, yeah. that's what you do. It might not even be an emergency. <laughs> Just might be a late night phone call. <laughs> I was in Leicester square the first time I ever went to London and at five o'clock for a happy hour there. Well, it was like five o'clock there. It was like noontime and my girlfriend was taking, my best friend at the time was taking a nap and her husband said, she's sleeping. I said, wake her up. She's going to want to get up. And, she, <laughs> and he said, but she's sleeping. I said, no, wake her up. I said, she's going to want to hear this and I'm not calling back. And I said, this cost me, that's what was like $5 a minute. And, uh, and so, you know, she gets up and I said, I, she goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm in Leicester square. She goes, oh, how cool is that? You know, and I said, very cool. It's huge. There are more people in Leicester Square at five o'clock at night than they're on all of Boston. <laughs> and I said, it is a wall of people moving around. It was just mind boggling to me. And, um, and she said, wow. And she goes, I wish I was there. And, and I, I said to her, well, I'll poke, I'll go party for you. I'm going to go have a, go to the pub. And just as it happened, I went in and sat down and these people came in and you think of like nothing is by chance, right? 
Um, and so the whole crew of MTV in London sat at my table and that we wow. had a blast. It was just, and it just, I could never have like, you know, figured out how to meet those people you know, before that, but they were all just like sat down. And so we all had, you know, a beer or whatever somebody was like drinking and they were so much fun. They're going, when I got up to leave, they're going, no, no, we got your table. It's okay. You can stay. It's, you can stay. I'm going, it's okay. Fine. I go here, here's some free passes. Come down and see us tomorrow. (laughs) It was just so, it was so great, you know, but it's just like the people you want, you know, the people that you can call up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, who thinks is, you know, like, wow, what can I do for you? You know, are you like, you want me to come get you at the airport? Okay. I don't think anything of like going to an airport to pick somebody up. It's just like, you just something that you do. You do that for your friends. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Uh, last two, sleep. Any, any tidbits, uh, nuggets of wisdom, protocols you have for sleep? Sure. Make a room dark. <laughs> and if you can't make a room dark and you need it darker, wear blinds. And then if you can't go to sleep, then sit up, turn the lights on and ask yourself, what is it that's bothering me? Or what is it that I have is on my mind that I need to do? The best, best question is ask yourself, is there something you can do about it right then and there? And if there is, then you get up and you do it. You know, and then after you get done doing it, you know, then you tell, give yourself permission to fall asleep. And so if you do that, you know, and make sure that the room's cool enough, it's not too hot, you have ventilation, um, you know, those are just really simple things. And if you can't do something about it, you can always dictate in your telephone. You know, you can always, you know, when I tell people to and teach uh, multitasking walking (laughs) in the morning so you can set your goals, do your gratitude, um, journal, actually exercise and be focused on that exercise, you know, um, you know, those are just some of those things, but for sleep, you've got to have, um, you, you've got to be, you have to have a, a bed that fits your body, not your body fitting the bed, um, and pillows, not too many pillows underneath. I have a new, Sarah, I'm teaching a pilot course, um, starting tomorrow. We're having a Q and a, and it's all about facial exercises, like for this part of your body and up. And, we took pictures of people with pillows underneath their head, you know, like back here with their chin up. And it's just like, all this gets so fluffy. I'm going, well, you don't use it, you lose it. Right. So if you have, you know, pillows that are propping your head up, you don't move your head while you're sleeping, then those muscles of flexion are going to get weak and your head's Mm going to go forward because your head weighs about 11 pounds. So I'm going like, Oh, you know, and then, you know, so it's one of like the bonus exercises of like, you know, how do I take what's the exercise I can do to help improve my strength of my neck muscles, you know, so that, you know, my head sits over my shoulders correctly with my ears over my shoulder points, you know, which are over my hip points, which is where the femur heads are at in your knees and then your ankles, you know, when you have that, you have pretty good posture and that, but that's what, you know, that's what I would go to for that. Yeah. Sleep, uh, has always been an interesting one for me. I've always sort of not been a good sleeper. So I've been trying really hard over the last couple of years to make it a really big priority in my life. And one of the biggest, uh, adjustments that I make was training my body and my brain to know that when I walked into my bedroom, I only did two things in my bedroom. I only sleep or have mm-hmm. sex. That's it. Mm-hmm. 
So my body knows that when I go into my bedroom, I'm not exercising, I'm not watching TV, I'm not running around, I'm not doing anything. It knows that I'm only doing two things and it can know like pretty right away which one of those two things are going to happen, right? I live with my right. partner, so we yeah. that's what we do. So my body and it's like it's like the same thing with diet. So my brain and my mind and my attitude have been trained that when I go into my bedroom, my body is now preparing to sleep. I watch TV or do whatever thing active outside of my bedroom. And when I walk into my bedroom, there's only two possible options. I'm going to sleep mm-hmm. or I'm going to have you, physical intimacy. You know, the the thing is, you know, it's like I told you I was in an Airbnb. So the thing in this room is that my desk is part of my bedroom. But mm-hmm. my rule is, is that when I shut my computer off, my computer stays off until the next morning. I don't turn it on in the middle of the night. I don't, you know, in going to sleep, you know, on my telephone, part of the thing about my telephone is I don't have, you know, um, I have it on airplane mode, you know, because I don't want to have the extra, you know, EMFs. And, you know, so I create my, my bedroom to me is always my sanctuary. Yeah. Um, it's just like where I meditate, you know, where I lay down if I need to like, you know, power nap you know it's where i do that but i only sit at this desk when i'm working i never sit at this desk other than that and when i do that you know it's just like you know it's clean right now it looks like a nightmare you know but when i shut my computer down tonight all my like papers will all go in one pile folder you know, for me to go through the next day and go like, what do I have to do? Like, did, did this happen? Did that happen? Um, you know, and I scheduled um, free webinars today uh, with my uh, business partner for a, um, a web- free webinar we're going to do about high performance health in um, May and then deliver it probably in, um, in June for this, for, you know, going, walking into summer with high performance, that kind of thing. Um, and just like, you know, going back and always like looking at the basics, but I get that, you know, like the, the, the compartmentalization that needs to happen. Like, what do you do in bedrooms? You sleep, you have sex, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, I never had a TV in my bedroom. I don't watch TVs in bedrooms. And that I always think that's a great way to ruin a relationship is turn the TV on. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and so I, I, don't, I don't even own a TV. I haven't owned a TV since... Um, I had a TV like in 1986 and then, um, I, after when I decided one day I wasn't going to pay for, um, whatever the, the box, you know, mm. that comes with you, especially down in Florida, down in, when I went to acupuncture school to get my master's and my doctorate in, uh, oriental medicine and that, you know, I'm going, I'm not paying $175 for freaking <laughs> for you know, Wi-Fi, you know, Wi-Fi, it's only cost like $39 of it. I said, I'll pay the $39 of it. You know, I went to back to the, the basics of it, you know, and then, you know, I watched movies. I mean, but I don't watch them in my bedroom. Right. You know, and it's just like, and I don't, you know, I'll, I'll listen to a book in the room and I'll, I'll read, you know, maybe sometimes in the morning for around 20 minutes. But other than that, I mean, I'm very religious about, you know, those particular areas you know, and being organized, but I commend you on that. There's not very many people who do that. So bravo. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I mean, not to say uh, that me and my partner are perfect in that. Right. But that's our, that's our goal. That's our North uh-huh. star. That's our guide mm-hmm. to do that. And if we do it together, then we can hold each other accountable for that. And so right. that's really quite important. Uh, any closing thoughts on posture that we haven't touched on? 
Well, you need hydration for everything. Every one of the five pillars I talked about, you need hydration for. So hydration would be approximately 50% of your body weight in water. If you don't like to drink water, um, it's not that I don't like to drink water, but this is a good exhibit, is here's my HUI. HU1 bottle, and um, I'm drinking this with a straw because there's sediment that's at the bottom, and I don't want to drink it all at once. But if you can drink water with a straw, and you can drink more water. If you don't like the taste of water, you can put lemon. You can put essential oil of lemon or lime in it. They're similar to each other because when you do that, you can absorb more nutrients for your digestion. You know, if you have a bloated stomach, you can take a little bit of lemon juice and water so the water's cloudy like the same size as this cup. And, um, and, you know, those kind of things. So posture is important because when you have good posture and you have the hydration, it holds your organs in place. Nothing drives me crazier than to see somebody who, A, has really bad posture walking. So I'm going, oh, my God, it will take me forever to fix that. And then also who has bad posture, you know, um, just slump. You know, you can see the forward head tilt, you know, for every, like, I think it's like seven degrees or something like that. It's 10 pounds per square inch on each cervical vertebra. You know, it's just like, do your exercise and have that posture. You'll be able to breathe better, you know, and all your organs will function. That's when your Swiss watch of your body is functioning at 100%, you know, and all those pieces of the puzzle have a better ability to do that. And that, so posture is essential. You can't do sport. I mean, if you, when I used to coach people in the gym um, about training, I always used to tell them, forget about looking down, look where you're going, pretend you're outside on a treadmill and run. Your feet will know exactly where to land, you know, and, you know, always like watch your, like your posture is important, you know, when you're stretching your shoulders, when you're doing, you know, some opening up your shoulder work. You know, if you want to straighten this piece of your head out so you have better posture, you can take that little styrofoam, you know, like um, that roll and put it right across your shoulder blades so that your head part of it is going back, you know, and just resting. You don't even have to move. Um, and you can decompress your spine, but you've got to watch. You have to know what your st the structure function part of that is. So having somebody like your partner or somebody who you work out with who can sit there and tell you that your head tilts forward, bring your head back, put your chin down, you know, so that you have, um, you know, you're functioning better because then you won't be exercising a dysfunction because if you exercise a dysfunction, the dysfunction gets stronger, it doesn't get better. So and that's why the posture part of it is the big big chunk of that. So posture is, posture is king or queen, whichever side you're on. Yeah. I am. Um, I, I love, I love the posture piece. I love that's a pillar of health. Not only for mm -hmm. the, the the functionality of our body, but I think uh, it has a deep relationship to our mindset. Uh, because, mm -hmm. like I tell people to just embody a superhero pose: your chest up, your shoulders back. Think Superman. And what does that tell you? Right? It tells you that you're powerful and grounded. Because like we're not always going to feel confident, but we can behave confidently, and we behave confidently through our posture. That's like thing we can control. I can control to have my shoulders back and my chest up and my chin up. And it tells my body something. It's sort of like the idea of fake it till you make it. I don't love that terminology, but it sort of works in this context. Like that's what you're telling yourself. Yeah. It might not feel confident heading into this situation, into this conversation, into this game, but I can definitely behave confidently because I have control over my actions and my posture. 
and now we're functioning at a high level through all of that stuff. And I think that's, that's very important when it comes to our body language or our posture. Mm -hmm. For sure. You can tell a lot about somebody by their posture. You know, so when I first time I ever walked, um, runway, um, and after I sold my practice on Cape Cod, um, the Spiritus was putting on a show and I met this woman in Marshall's <laughs> and she said, you should come try out. I haven't worn high heels in ever. And so, um, and I had like two and a half, three inch high heels and I was trying to walk down this catwalk and she comes running up to me and grabs my hips and she's going swish, swish, you know, and you, and she goes, keep your chin up, you know, and, and you're, it, it's just like, my body just went, I was like, and then it just went, it sank. And it's just like, but it was like, my, my brain felt disconnected from my body. And mm -hmm. in that moment before she did that, when she did that, I I had, it, it turned, modeling turned into being an absolute, just a sideline fun thing to do. And, but you have to be able to have that structure. You can see that in any model, whether it's male or female. You know, when they're walking down that runway, you know, um, or wherever they're at, you know, and you, it, people used to come up and say, are you a model in Boston? It's like this week, <laughs> <laughs> this week, I'm going to show this week. <laughs> I go catch me next week. You might not see the same person or you might not recognize me. Um, but it's, it, you know, it, it was a, a ton of fun. And, um, and it's, people are like, you're way ahead of your time. <laughs> And uh, it was it was fun. Boston was a young town. You had to be a young person to be in a in the modeling industry in Boston. They forgot that there were baby boomers, <laughs> you know, there, and they changed their tune a couple years after that. But um, but anyways, but it was a lot of fun. But you have to have good posture. And do you remember they used to put books on top of your head? Mm -hmm. You know, and then they would tell you to put your hand. You only one hand should fit behind the small of your back in the wall. And, you know, it's just like, and so when you, you walked, you kind of like walk with like foot over foot, you know, and, you know, and you had more stability and all models. Interesting. This is an interesting piece that I learned from one of my, um, people from, you know, my, uh, the his name was Dr. Shu. He's in Miami. Um, he taught us some Tai Chi. And so he taught us about the stability and where people have the best stability and even in there's a te technique in chiropractic called uh, SOT and SOT talks about low back pain shear and shearing of the SI joints, which is where the sacrum meets the ilium. And so in Tai Chi, that same motion of having one foot like in ballerina pose to the second, I think it's the second position where one foot is slightly ahead of the other creates immediate stability going up from the ground up. You can, and it's harder for you to be pushed over. So a lot of people stand with their feet equal side to side, and you can see them shifting back and forth and that, but the person who has the stronger stability more in their spine is somebody whose foot is slightly ahead of the other one, like in a, this kind of position. If you can get what I'm jesting at, or look up second yeah. or third, third position in ballet, that's the exact same position, but Tai Chi is a position also. And that, and, um, and and you could always tell by what category somebody was in. You're born in category one. They say that you die in category one in SOT. 
in this technique. Category two is when you're functional. That's like your, you know, your mammalian brain. <laughs> and the uh, and then the third category is when you're having trauma, like when you have like sciatica, or you had a traumatic accident that made, mm. you know, all your muscle spasms and stuff like that. But you know, it's, it's, it's just an interesting concept and in how a lot of those thought processes overlap with each other. Interesting. Yeah. Very. So. Okay. I have, I have one final question to ask you. It's the second cool. most important question outside question number one. But before we get to that, uh, where where can people go to find you to learn more about you, to ask you questions, to hear about the stuff you're working on, to get some coaching from you? Well, if somebody wants to find out just more about me, um, they can text uh, to 26786. They can text lifestyle, and that should take them to my webpage, which is healthteamnetwork.com. If they're interested in find out how their body is dealing with toxins in their environment and whether or not they're a candidate to do a detox and what the health status of their gut is, um, they can text the initials MDQ. So like um, metabolic detoxification questionnaire, and that will give you those two questionnaires. Um, I don't ask for your firstborn child in order for you to do that. It's just, you know, in order for you to get it, it's like just your phone number. Um, and then, you know, there's ways for you to reach out to me. So there's ways on my health team network. LinkedIn, if you're on LinkedIn, it's a great way to, to reach out to me um, on that. Um, on my website, you can ask me a question on my homepage. If you scroll down, there's a microphone. You can click on the microphone, and you can actually verbally ask me a question, and it will come to my email, and I can answer you back You know, from, from that. And how to work with me, I have a work with me page. Um, I coach virtually. Uh, and I also make um, personal calls. And I also help out, you know, in small group coaching. And, I'm, and then I have a concierge mastermind, which is kind of, of how I take people from where they're at and keep them where they're at so they can maintain the, a certain level of mental uh, wellness and, um, and health and um, also their mindset so they can keep those mindset mastery things. Like, you know, I'm glitching. What can I do? Like what? Like and you can also have that. So you have me twenty four seven on those kind of things, and that. But I'm happy to help you out. I love to help people and have fun and see them thrive. Amazing. Yes. Go go get after Dr. Pat. Find her work. Talk to her. Ask her questions. Um, that's how we connected through LinkedIn. So it's a yeah. beautiful source. So and go to the website. And if they're interested in the book, you can get it on Amazon. It's called Why Are You Sick, Fat, and Tired. The workbook, a guidebook, and an advocating tool, and it's a book of questions so that you can discover your weakest link and your strongest links because you've got to know what you got you working with, right? And then you can show you exactly where to focus your time, your energy, and your money, and so that you can get unstuck with a, a quicker, safer um, method than putting yourself at risk. That's it's a good thing. Fantastic, um, LinkedIn website and book are all linked in the show notes. So click those right now. Okay, Dr. Pat, here's the final question. Oh my goodness. We're another one. <laughs> if you, if you were going to put up a billboard and hmm. millions of people were going to see this billboard every single day, what would you put on it? I would put on that billboard too. I was trying to think of how I would construct it though. Um, I would tell people to tell themselves that they love themselves every day. When you go into the mirror in the morning and you're looking at yourself, you know, if the heart 
and this is in Chinese medicine, the heart houses the mind, and the mind houses the soul, and the windows are the eyes to the soul. Know yourself well. Just tell yourself every day when you look into the mirror in your eyes that you love yourself. Like, I love me. You know, and then you can go out and do your day. That's beautiful. Thanks. That's really beautiful. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insight. I appreciate your time, Dr. Pat. And I appreciate you. This was a blast. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to that conversation with Dr. Pat. What was your biggest takeaway? Because I just really enjoy the framework of the five pillars of health. How can we simplify things so we can make them easy to understand, easy to digest, and then easier to take action on? Because action is the only thing that's going to get you closer to becoming that best version of you, which is absolutely 100% possible. And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to drop us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbits directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes and see which tier might work best for you. But most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourself and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.